0: Hello, welcome to Circuit and Gear, a podcast where we discuss scenic automation and other interesting tech. I'm Gareth Connor, And I'm Royal Marty. Royal, it's been a month. (laughs) I think in our last episode, we specifically said we were going to get back on track with recording regularly. We were going to be better about it. We were going to be, and then we didn't.
1: (laughs) At all. Dirty
0: liars. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're back. It's been, August was a slightly hectic month, and we'll get into what some of that, uh, Some of what those details were that happened in August that kept us away from the podcast microphones. Yes. Uh, But today we're actually going to talk about some other stuff. Uh, Getting back to a topic we
1: left off on... The last podcast. I guess it was. Yeah, we talked about it briefly. Yeah. And said we were going to circle back to it. Yeah, and we are. Right. (laughs) So there. (laughs) Men of our word.
0: (laughs) Spike Mark 3.3.
1: Yes. Hopefully everybody's downloaded it by now.
0: You've had plenty of time. There's no right? excuses. No excuse. If we're not, we're going to find you. We're going to wait. We're going to wait right here. You guys go download your Spike <laughs> Mark 3.3. 3. <laughs> uh, Spike Mark 3.3, though, was in response to, uh, well, there was a couple of big bug fixes. Yeah,
1: kind of, yeah quite a few. I mean, uh, not quite a few, but two. some big, bu- some big bug fixes. Yeah. Right? And then uh, polishing. Yep. Cleaning some things up.
0: Yep. Right? Yeah, and... Before we get into those details, one of the things I like about the fact that Spike marks free now um, is that we don't really feel so much pressure to group up a bunch of new features and a bunch of bug fixes to make a big release.
1: Right. So, Um, like, if we find bugs, then we could squash them and then just release them. Yeah. Immediately, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and similarly, I guess we've kind of always done that with bugs, you know, for the most part. If they're small bugs, they definitely get batched into... Into a big release. But on features, we, we really did try to do that, like save features for our right. release. Right. And uh, now that it's free, we can just kind of update whenever. Whenever, and, yeah. yeah. The version number is almost meaningless. But. <laughs>
1: totally. But, <laughs> but it's good for us to know what version you have. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Yeah. So the bug fixes. Yeah. What was... There was one big, big bug that we found, that you found when you were out in Colorado...
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Something that I've uh, fondly named "soft stop link death." Yes, <laughs> that's a good name. <laughs> yeah, and so I think we talked maybe a little bit about this on the last podcast, but just to reiterate what it is and get into some details about why it is, or why it was, um, the the basic problem that we were facing was that after you had soft stopped. If you tried to run a linked sequence next after a soft stop, yep, you would get some cues not firing in the links, link sequence. Okay, they would basically get loaded but never execute. Right. And the now let's dive into what that the details of what that was actually what it was was that linked cues that didn't share any of the motors with the parent queue that started the sequence. Okay. Those are the ones that would be affected. Yeah. The reason is that uh, on soft stop, previously what we would do is we'd fault every queue in the queue grid. The right. whole queue grid lights Everything up Everything would turn, up, turn yellow. And why did we do this? It, it always seemed a little drastic. Um, but what we found was that if you had long running queue links, Yep. Like minutes long queue links. You could get easily into a situation where you would say fire the master queue. Right. That cue wraps up in thirty seconds. And then you've got a queue link that's supposed to trigger ten minutes later. Yes. Say you soft stopped. The the master cue runs fine. Then you have an intermediate queue that's just driven by the the go button. Yep. You drive that queue. And then you soft stop. Right. Then you recover. Right, right. Well, most of the time, if you hit soft stop, you really want to kill Every. any subsequent right. links. Right,
1: right. You don't want anything to move no. after you hit soft stop.
0: Right. But in this case, if as long as you would recovered and everything had you know come to a stop, gone back, um, come to a stop, come to a full and complete stop. Yep. Um, Ten minutes later, after that initial original, original master cue had fired, then the cue link would actually be taken. Okay. Right. Because there was no fault condition that was passed on to that queue link. It would just look back and say, hey, did my master queue fault? Yep. Nope, it didn't. Then I'm good to run. Okay. Or from the link's perspective, it looks at both its master queue or its child queue and sees is either one of these faulted. So we would just fault everything. It right. It's kind of a nuke it from orbit exactly. strategy. <laughs> just like, I'm out. <laughs> everything's dead. There's nothing here. Kill it all. Kill it all. Exactly. <laughs> And so um, that were, you know, that solved that problem. Yeah. But it introduced this this new problem where you could get, you'd have this problem where because everything had faulted, when the uh, if a linked queue that didn't share any motors with a parent queue right. tried to run, the, the child queue was in a fault condition, and then it transitioned from faulted to idle. It would then load. But because of the, some internal state logic, because it had transitioned from idle, from faulted to idle to loaded, to loaded. it wouldn't allow it to run. Right. It really wants to go from idle to running to uh, idle to loaded to running. Right. It doesn't like that other having started from a faulted state. Right. Um, so this so, came up on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang.
1: Yeah. And so it all crept up because on the new Showstopper, yeah. consolet right? The hold to run acts as a soft stop.
0: Exactly. So every time you take your finger off the hold to run button, you You're get a soft You're soft stop. stopping.
1: Right. So that every time you pull your finger off, the whole cue grid would turn yellow.
0: Yep. And so you might have run one linked sequence, get to the end of it, pull your finger off the button, whole cue grid goes yellow. Yep. And then you start up the next cue sequence again, but all of the subsequent cues are still yellow. Right. So that... Which is unlike in a, in a normal situation, as say normal, but in a previous situation where you weren't using hold to run, you'd only get soft stop faults occasionally.
1: Exactly. Because you don't really hit soft stop too much.
0: Right. And usually it'll only be in rehearsal. Yeah. And I imagine people did see this happen. Yeah. And I imagine these are probably bug reports that we saw and never quite understood what yeah. happened. Exactly. Um,
1: or something that people couldn't really put their finger on as to what happened, so then they just went back and... Yeah, ran we ran it, again, it and they're and like, it was, oh, no, I guess it's, it's fine. fine. I'm not sure what happened. Well, what happened? Yep. Yeah. Yep.
0: Um, but no, it was a repeatable bug. Um, so what we do now is a little smarter. I mean, and really logically more what, what we're trying to express yeah. in the program. Which, so what we do now is we only fault the cues that are moving. Yep. When you get a soft stop command. And then as soon as the stop is complete... They go from yellow to to gray, right? So they go back to idle. Yep. So you are faulted while you are soft stopping. Yes. But then you transition from stopping to just idle. Idle. We also used to have this weird state called soft stopped, where you right. had, like a, a motor would be soft stopped if it was if it had finished soft stopping. Yep. But it hadn't had a new queue run yet. It wasn't idle. Yeah, and we just took that away. Yep. You know. Uh, and time will tell uh, how great of a decision that is or not, but I, I think it makes a lot more sense now because soft stopped isn't really a thing. Yes. Like, the motor isn't actually in a different physical state at that moment than right. if it's just sitting there idle. Idle, Yeah, It's just like some weird abstraction we layered on top of it. Yeah. There's not- Anything in the hardware that's different.
1: Right, and I don't think a lot of people really care if it's idle or soft-stopped
0: Right, if the last thing that happened was it got a soft-stop.
1: Exactly. And
0: the only way you'd clear out of a soft-stop is just load another movement. Yeah, exactly. So by making that change, we no longer have the bug where you get soft-stop Q-link death. Um, And to prevent long-running links from executing on a soft-stop, as soon as you get a soft-stop command, we also toggle... The Q link um, enable, all yes. links enable. Right. So there's a little checkbox at the bottom left corner of Spike, spike mark, mark, all links enabled. And if you uh, tickle that checkbox, it'll turn all the links off. Right. So when you get a soft stop, we check, are all links enabled? If they are, disable them and then just re enable them. Yes. And that sends a message to every Q link in the show that says, hey, we're doing something where, you know, basically just stand down. Stop looking for now. Wait until your next queue run. Yep. And the queue links are smart enough. This also ties in nicely with some previous enhancements we did a couple of years ago, um, where now every queue actually has a run ID right. internally. So we can tell the difference between when you're running queue number two. Is this the first time, the second time, the third time, fourth time, tenth time? Yeah. you've run through the show? Yep. We can tell which queue run you're on and then the links can be smarter about hey i've already executed on this queue run i'm gonna wait till i'm gonna the next wait run. till the next queue right? or in this case this queue run has faulted forget this queue run we got to wait for a next Yeah, we're gonna queue come run. back and catch that yeah yep. so it actually you know uh makes for a uh, internally the logic of the program makes a lot more sense with what we're trying to do anyway
1: right and um, then also to the user it's a lot better when they release soft stop the whole cue grid is not turning yellow either right because right. you know that could be a little alarming that's but, right like you know you've released the hold to run but yes. yet everything is turned yellow <laughs> but even nothing was happening why is it faulted yeah
0: exactly. and and th- it's good that you bring that up because it's the other side effect is that if no cues are running and you release so- the hold to run you see no faults on the screen, right which is really true you haven't faulted you anything. haven't
1: faulted anything yeah no. yep so, so.
0: No, it, it's just, it's much, it's much cleaner. It seems to be much better. Yeah. Anyone who's been having trouble.
1: With Q-Links,
0: right. Yeah, with Q-Links, that, uh, this could be part of the, the reason to it. And definitely if you're using a Showstopper 3 consulate and hold to run mode, right. you certainly want uh, SpikeMark 3.3. Definitely. To fix this bug.
1: Yep. Another interesting thing that is fixed with the Showstopper consulate and SpikeMark is the jog wheel. Yeah,
0: like, jog wheel. That's a good one. The jog wheel It's a funny thing. Jog wheel isn't really a
1: straight-up jogging function. Yeah. Like the... The wheel and the paddle are two different things.
0: Yeah. So those that aren't familiar, the, the Showstopper 3 consulate has two different ways that you can jog. You put your finger on the jog button, and then there's a joystick that yep. is just a variable speed joystick. Right. Behaves like you'd expect. And then the wheel is actually like a positioning uh, wheel. So each click on the wheel equals one unit if yep. you're in coarse mode, or point one unit if you're in fine, fine mode. mode. Yes. And um, what that's really doing under the covers is rather than sending out like a uh, a jogging speed, is that sending out what I call like an ad hoc cue. Yeah, it's just a mini cue, right? Right. It's just like a nameless, faceless cue. We yes. say go from where you are, go another inch, go another inch, go another right. inch. Or actually what we do is we go, we say from where you started, go another go inch, another go another inch. inch. Yep. Um, because you could have a little bit of um, cue tolerance that would compound. Yes. Right. right. And we try to avoid that. So. Um, so that's what the jog wheel does. It makes yeah. up a bunch of mini cues. Right. So the joystick is not beholden to soft limits. Yes. Everything's governed by hard limits, of course, but the
1: joystick is much like the the jog wheel on the stage hand itself. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you yeah. just hit forward and turn, and yeah, exactly. It, it's precisely
0: like that. Yeah. like it has no knowledge of what the soft the limit soft is. It's just are. giving you a a a raw speed. The jog wheel, of course, though, is really more like a cue. Yeah. So it is totally gathered, <laughs> governed <yeah. laughs> by soft limits because right. the whole point of soft limits is so you don't write cues that go beyond whatever you say is the soft is, limit, uh, right? So this can get you into a sticky situation. Say you jog manually well past. The soft limit. Right. And now you go to run on the jog wheel. Yep. Well, it will only allow you to go as far as the soft limit. So if I've jogged, say I had set a soft limit at 120 inches. Yep. I jog on the joystick up to 140, which is still clear of my hard limit. Yes. Now when I go to the jog wheel and then try to dial it back, it will only go up to 120 inches.
1: Right. So now, just like if- in Spike Mark, if you try and write a cue and you put in 140, it's all, it's going to change. It's going to whack it back. Down whack to it, to it 120. back down to one twenty.
0: Yeah, totally. So it goes to one twenty. Well, that means that that jog is its first commanded position is twenty inches back. Yes. As an operator, you're expecting one inch increments. That's what we've promised you yeah. in the manual. And it's going to move twenty inches now to get. It's going to shoot s- that back back
1: way. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's obviously not good. <laughs> that's not really. That's not what nobody wants. That's, right. It's a little terrifying the first time it happens to you. And then after that, you, you kind of know what's coming. Still catch you still, off guard. Yeah. So, what we did is the smart thing, you know, when we fixed this is that now it will allow you to come down. If you are starting from beyond a soft limit, yep. you can uh, come back towards soft limit in one inch increments. You just right. can't ever advance beyond soft limit. Right. And that obviously works in both forward and reverse Reverse. yeah if you're in reverse you can go you can't go more negative but you can go more positive if you're too far forward you can't go more forward but you can come
1: you can come back yeah yeah
0: yeah so um a small but incredibly important phase.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And that's right. all logic that actually happens in SpikeMark. It doesn't happen on the Showstopper. So there's no, no need for a firmware update to the Showstopper. That's a good point. Right. It's all logic handled in SpikeMark. It's all wrapped into SpikeMark 3.3. Yep. 3. yep, exactly. Because SpikeMark is doing all the computation there. Yeah. It's just getting a click, basically, from the Showstopper. And Same. then it's figuring out what that click Where is supposed needs to, to, to mean. go. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And then a feature... That is now added to Spike Mark 3.3. Yeah, is uh, a little, a little like dialog box or wizard to help you figure out your position scale.
0: Yeah, I think the world is divided into two camps: those that <laughs>
1: understand position scale and th- those that don't. Right. Um, but it, we get a lot of phone calls. We get a lot of phone calls, and the machine library. When we introduced the machine library a couple of years back. That big definitely help. helped with the position scale phone calls, but we still get quite a few phone calls.
0: Yeah. And some people you talk to and they think, why, this is just a simple ratio. This, yeah. Why, why is it why a big you, deal? Why are you making this feature even? Yeah. And then other people we talk to who, it, it just clearly doesn't fit their mental model of the way it should work. Right. Um, position scale, for those that don't know, is just a way of setting up your encoder counts. Um, it put, setting up the ratio of encoder counts to units traveled. Yeah. Uh, so that when the computer reads something back on screen, it shows it to you in inches or feet yeah. or degrees.
1: It just makes it a friendly number for us humans to understand. Yeah, because you don't want to have to remember 1,500,362 counts. Yeah, exactly. You want to just <laughs> think like
0: 32 inches. Yes. You know. Um Although Troy Breezius, we're looking at you when we say, <laughs> when we say, please, for the love of God, start using position start scale. Start using position
1: scale. It will make it so much easier. <laughs> the
0: good folks out at Cincinnati still cling to their raw encoder counts for, yeah. for reasons unknown. Um, but for the, for most people, it's just much more convenient uh, to, to just do it in, in not in raw encoder counts, but in, to, to, to in user units. Right. You know? Yeah. Whatever you want those units to be. Yeah. Um, so the process for figuring out position scale is like you set, you reset zero on your encoder. Right. You set your position, position scale. scale to one. Yeah, one to one. So you're reading raw encoder right. counts. Right. You try, you travel out the maximum distance. Yes. And then you look at how many encoder counts did I travel? Yep. And then how many inches or millimeters or meters or whatever you whatever want. Whatever unit. Use. Yep. Did I travel? You take encoder counts, divide by number of units traveled. Yep. And that's your position scale. It's encoder counts per unit. Per unit, right? Um, but that's still like a multi-step process. Yeah. And so even for people who it makes perfect sense, it's a little annoying. Also, you have to like take out a calculator and right.
1: Actually and then like the thing that always in. gets me is you got to make sure you remember to set your position scale to one. Yeah, yeah, yep, I yep, forget. Yep. I forget that from time to time. Yep.
0: <laughs> so the new thing there's a button now uh, right next to the position scale. Uh, edit box, you click the button that says position scale, yep. and it brings up a little wizard box where you can reset the zero, first of all. So there's a button in there to do that. And then you just jog it, however, your favorite method of jogging the yeah. motor is. And you punch in how far did you travel? And then it calculates the new position scale for you. And it shows you what the new position scale will be. Yep. And you can s- click a button that says use this new position scale or just cancel. Right. And if you click use this new position scale, then it'll dump that into the uh, motor property. Right. So it's, yeah, it's a small thing,
1: but it, it really does. It's going to help clear some confusion. Yeah. Right? And then it's also going to make it faster and easier for other people, too. Yeah, that's so, the
0: thing is it makes it better for everybody. I think right. if it didn't make sense to you before, this should be a lot easier. And if yep. it did make it sense make sense to you before, it it's it's gonna cuts be out faster. a couple of yeah, yeah. A couple of steps get cut out. Yeah. So I think it's cool.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. And then the other thing we want to talk about was programming for Spike Mark. Yeah. Right? So, like, how do you, like, so you you know that these bugs need to get squashed,
0: or these features want what to be added. Or these
1: features need to come need to get added. Yeah. So like, how do you start that that process?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, it's kind of the same process for either thing. Yeah. For either a new feature or for a bug that you've discovered, uh, we practice for the most part. We practice a methodology called known as TDD or Test Driven Development, um, and that we've only adopted it uh, in the last three or four years. But um, but I've fallen pretty deeply in love with the methodology. Yeah. Uh, Test-driven development goes hand-in-hand with what we call unit testing, which is where you basically write little units of code that test your code in your software. Okay. So you have like a whole suite of um, code tests that you write that just exercise uh, spike mark in this case. So for test-driven development, you can write unit tests any way you want. You know, and the old or kind of traditional way of doing it was that you would write your software and then write tests to confirm that your software works. Exactly. Uh, test driven development kind of turns that upside down and says, no, write your tests first. Right. Do nothing. Write your tests that either show that this bug exists. Like, yeah. You know, because you write a test that says, I'm going to set up all of these conditions, and then I'm going to set up what I what the code should do, right. And test that that has actually happened, right? Well, if it's a bug, that won't pass; it'll fail. It will fail, and so you write the co- the test that will fail, and then you go fix the code in Spike Mark to make that test work. Yep. And then you do this chunk by chunk by chunk. You break it down into very very small steps. Um, so these tests are very small; they're compact, um, and they're focused on what you're trying to do. And with bugs, you write tests that show that the bug exists Yeah, and then show that the bug, once the test passes, then you know the bug then is fixed. Then you know the bug is fixed. Yeah. Right. And similarly with new features, you do the same thing. Like the first thing you do is like write a test that says, hey, I want this feature. Yeah. Test that this feature works. And it's like, ah, the feature doesn't even exist. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know? There's not even a class named that or, you know, a function yeah. named that or anything. Um, and so you do that. I mean, it's just a repetitive, repetitive cycle. Right.
1: Right, but it's, so it kind of seems like it takes a lot more legwork up front, right? Like yeah, the beginning work is not as gratifying. Yeah, right. Like yeah. it takes a, like, you're yeah. doing all this work and not getting anything. Like, you yeah, can't, yeah. You can't see anything work. You can't see anything work.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. But then, then
1: like all of a sudden, it's like voila.
0: That is. That is true because you get to the end of it, and once all your tests pass, then kind of anticlimactically, you just run your code, and you're like, "Oh, I get, it works." Uh, it but works. I guess I knew it was going to work. I just had to that work. button in, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and then long term, it has this great benefit that now you have built up this long, this big suite of tests yeah. that you can run anytime. Anytime you make a change to any code in Spike Mark, we run the whole test suite to make sure that we're not reintroducing a bug that has already occurred. Right now we're still writing the tests and the tests could have bugs in them absolutely right right um, or with the tests could just not cover every possible right condition. every corner of it yeah but uh, so it's not as though you're you know it's a magic bullet it's not like suddenly the code is all bug free but it really makes it easier to track changes and yep. see what has gone you know what have you fixed in the past to make sure we don't break that in the future and then from a documentation standpoint it's very helpful you know, if you're writing actual code in spike mark to be able to see, um, how is this code intended to be used? Yeah. Cause can you can, that. yeah, you can kind of see, Oh, this is how the tests work. So that's how I'm supposed to be using this it is, in right. the production code. Right. Yeah. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. it's interesting. And then, so like when, when you start to like tackle these bugs yeah, or, to, like, add the features. So, like, do you just, like, go into... Because Visual Studio... Yeah. ...is the software, is yeah. the, the program development you use. Do you just, like, hit save as and then, like, make another...
0: I copy everything to a floppy disk. Yeah, yeah, that makes and then a lot of sense. And I take a sharpie and I write the date on the floppy.
1: Right, and then like we have like files, like we have like the yeah the, the case logic, the, the little case logic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought about those, come those as, a while. It as no surprise that
0: actually back in like 2000 when I first started writing software, that was honestly a lot of what I did. Um, that's not a great practice. Right, as Did you, you get know, little
1: tabs. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: This one I want to save forever, so i right. we'll This flip is 2014. It's <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, so we use um, source f- source control. Yep. Uh, or sometimes version control. Um, the version control software that we use is called Git. Um, G I T. Right. Which is very popular. Very popular. It's what the folks who develop the Linux kernel use is okay. Git. That's Linus Torvalds um, originally developed Git for maintaining Four. Yeah. the Linux kernel. Yeah. Um,
1: they know a thing or two.
0: About software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. There's <laughs> a little bit. Um, but we use it, lots of people use it. It's a great version control system, um, and we use it to, to track all of our changes. Yeah version control is really really neat stuff uh for folks who aren't aware what it does is just it tracks your code base and anytime you want to make a change you can create a branch in your code base and say like i'm gonna fix this bug and so i'm gonna i'm gonna gonna diverge from the main uh repository of code i'm gonna make all these changes i can do lots of little changes in there and commit them comment them whatever And when I'm done, I can either merge it back into the main code branch, or I can leave it on its own branch, or I can totally blow it away. Right. And then any time along the code history, you can roll back all the way to day zero. Yes. You you can, and you can roll forward to any other day along that path um, and see the history of the code um, and check out the changes and take a look. And, you know, you can.
1: It's a lot like. Is it airport for the uh, what's the Wi-Fi backup for Apple?
0: Oh yeah, the time, machine, time machine. Time machine.
1: If anybody's used that, yep. it's a lot like that. It
0: is a lot like that exactly, uh, and it's like that just on steroids because right. you can have complete. You can have code branches that go off and live their own lives. Like when we were developing Spike Mark Three, we had a whole other branch called Spike Mark III. Three. But yep. We were continuing to, to develop Spike Mark Two, make bug fixes, and right. And then eventually the day came when we had to backport some of the new bug fixes from Spike Mark 3 into Spike Mark II, and then merge Spike Mark 3 in, and then also back, you know, get some of the pick up some of the bug fixes from Spike Mark II. Yes, and, right, et cetera, et cetera. So you can do all sorts of crazy branching and merging with uh, version control. And Git's one of the more popular ones. Mercurial is another one. Yep. Um, older v- things would be Subversion or CVS. Yeah. Perforce is one of the. So it's
1: a little bit better than hitting Save As. It's
0: a little bit better than hitting Save As yeah. it's <laughs> a little, than a directory full of zip files. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But that's the that's the technique.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: Yeah, yeah. Circling back yet again to another thing that we've left dangling out there. Um, the stagehand pros we've we've had even more time to work with them out in the field. Yep. And um, while they're mostly oodles of greatness, the things that we've bumped into particularly has been the uh something to do with the limit switches what's up with that royal
1: yeah so one thing that we have grown accustomed to like on the stagehand classics is we can easily defeat the limit switches right right so we we just make a little jumpers and we plug those jumpers in and limit switches are defeated Right, and then we can go do our setup, and then circle back and plug in the actual limit switches and set them to what we need to where we need to set them.
0: Yeah, like when you're winding a drum or something, you don't want to hit the limit. You don't and want stop.
1: to right. You don't have to worry about setting yeah setting the limits and stuff. Yeah. Um, but on the pro, since there's not you know separate connectors for each limit switch.
0: Right, because on the classic there are there's right. a forward limit switch and, and that's re- got its own plug and a reverse limit switch that's got its own plug. Right. So, and then the encoder has its separate plug.
1: Yep. Right, and so now on the Pro, they're all bundled together. Yeah, we got some it. 24-pin connector. And what's so in there? It's forward, reverse, ultimate, position encoder, and motor encoder. Yeah. So, we've got quite a bit jammed in there. Right. Um. So it's very hard to defeat the limits now. Yeah. Right, like when you're going to set up, and especially on, you know, so the forward and the ultimate. I mean, the forward and the reverse are. Are not great because you hit them and then you're like oh, I can't go forward I can't go reverse anymore but the ultimate limit can kind of get you down because when you hit the ultimate limit you're you're stuck you know you can't
0: <laughs> you are literally stuck right like you, <laughs> there's
1: nothing to do there's nothing to do the only right. thing to do is to physically tweak the limit switch go in and move that limit switch and um, why why is that because if you've hit the forward I mean sorry if you hit the ultimate limit switch then something has gone wrong something you've gone very, very wrong, that you've blown past your forward or your reverse limit switch, and right. now you're hitting the the ultimate. Right. And you so, should never be on this limit you switch. You should never be on this limit switch. Except
0: it's... if you're setting up. <laughs> 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 like, I think ultimate limit switches, uh, they totally make sense, and they're a great safety feature. One of the many, many safety features that we have, especially in our hoisting applications, right? Yeah. But uh, I think they... They are born out of a permanent installation mindset. Absolutely. Right. Which makes plenty of sense. You're going to commission this hoist. It's going to be in the, installed in this situation forever. Right. But we are not commissioning hoists that are going to be installed forever. <laughs> no, yeah. This, this hoist
1: is going to be installed for like four weeks. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> it's going to be ripped out and then put back in a truck and then go on to the next stop and do another yeah, job. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Um, so. That kind of gets you down because you can't, like I was saying, you can't go forward or reverse and you got to walk up and, you know, and sometimes if the ultimate limit, if the hoist is up in the grid. Yeah. You know, and you, <laughs> yeah, you struck think. that ultimate limit. That no, is, you're like, oh, this is going to suck. Yeah. I'll see you in 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm lucky. <laughs> right. Um, so we need to, we need to find a better way for a workaround, you know, during setups and like if, if a, Forward, ultimate. I mean, for if a forward limit switch is not needed or something like that, we need to find a better like way revolves, to. Revolves, right? Yeah. Oftentimes, you just jump out the limit switches. Yeah, I mean that's what we do when we sell a revolver. We we include two limit jumpers. Right. Because what do classics. you need limits
0: for on most revolves?
1: Yeah, and then that you know we that came to a head a couple of weeks ago when we had to sell um, when we sold a revolver to be used for a pro. That's right. Right. Yeah. And we discussed of what we do there. Right. And ultimately, we just decided that. We're going to jump out the limits inside the junction box for the revolver.
0: Yeah, which if you have a machine where you know this machine is never going to need these limit switches, you can do that, Yeah, which is what we did, for instance, like you're saying, on the, the Revolver Pro that we built. Um, we could make a little, we we make these little circuit boards that go on the back side of right. the connector, and they just make the jumps happen that we need to jump. Yep. It's, it makes it pretty easy. But if you're in a situation where it's like, no, 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 it's not that I never want to have to use this machine that way. It's just for this show. I just
1: don't, or I just don't want to use them right now. Or right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, ultimate limit's an interesting point. Yep. And what are some solutions there? So, a couple of solutions we've discussed would be... Because you don't want to just jump it out. Right. Right? Like, right. The ultimate limit that is there for a purpose. For
1: a purpose. And we just don't... Yeah. We yeah. want you to use it. Yes. And, and think- you don't want to just defeat it. So... Yeah. So one one option we've discussed would be like selling or creating like a piece of hardware that m- mates with that connector and then bust that connector out. It's kind of like a pass through, and we can jump the limits, th- uh, jump the limits out that way, like with like switches or yeah something like that. But that doesn't have any sort of like on the ultimate limit side.
0: I mean, one thing I know you came back from the cruise lines, right? Saying like. It would be nice is if we could like hit a button or something and then, at least on the Ultimates, yeah. jog yeah. back, but only at a very fixed, slow speed. Yes. Right?
1: Right. And so that, that does not do anything for us there. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's just purely a kind of mechanical right. solution, right? right? Like where we're just putting another connector through the system and right. going to jump yeah. it out. And then that also, like you were saying, on the cruise lines or like what I was just saying— if you're, the winch is up on the grid, then you got to climb all the way up there and put your limit jumper in. Yeah. Or when you're ready to wire, no, that's true. you know, when you're ready to put the ultimate limit in, then you got to get up there and put it in. All right. Um, hmm. So that's that's not great. Yeah. Um, another option we've discussed is, you know, the ultimate limit, I mean, all of the limit switch logic is handled on the card. Right. Right. So um, we've discussed, like, if there's a way we can defeat just put it like a little box. I mean, like, like just defeat it on the card. So, you know, change the firmware of the card. Yep. To, to say, I want to temporarily override the right. ultimate limit switch. Right. And what is that? Like, how do you get how there? How do we get there? And right. then how do you make it
0: obvious that you're doing it? Right.
1: And right. like you brought up a good point. I've kind of assumed that I've kind of always in my head thought that it should be in spike mark. Right. Right. But that's not great either because a lot of times it's during setup yeah when you're setting up you don't have spike mark running yet yeah. you know you got everything powered up and spike mark is not running right so then you'd have to go set up spike mark and set up your network and everything right because i mean i don't know about most people but for us the network setup is the last thing we do yeah you know so that that kind of sucks like that would be less than ideal as well yeah so i mean, recently we've been tossing around like if there's a way to do it on just from the stagehand. Right. You know kind of like how setting the IP address is done from the stagehand. It would be something like this.
0: Yeah. And then we just have to make it obvious somehow on the stagehand that limits have been disabled on space. Right. Right. You know.
1: Exactly. On the stagehand and in spike mark. Yes.
0: One thing we were recently discussing too is that we got to break our own habits a little bit. Yeah. Because we, we've we worked with the classics for so long that we think of that as like the way we do it. Yeah. And let's exactly. reimplement that in the pros. Right. And that's not really fair either because say we went with something in the firmware and it, we got to work out how that would work and how you make it obvious and so on. But one benefit that that has that we don't even get the chance to do with the classics. So we then be able to show that in SpikeMark. Yes. And give the operator like, hey, that thing you're running right now, you've got hard limits disabled. Yeah. You absolutely. might have meant to do that. Absolutely. But if you didn't mean to do that, be aware.
1: Right. Or it has not happened often, but we've had a few times where people have had the limit jumpers plugged in and they thought they had their limits plugged in. Right. And then they're like, well, how come we didn't hit the limit?
0: Yeah. And you're like, well, you left your limit jumpers in. Yeah, right. But you we,
1: know? I mean, it's hard for us to tell that right now because we don't we see that. We can't see it. We no. can't see that in a log file. But if it's handled all on the card, then we'd be able to... Report that back to the log file.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think my biggest concern is just how do we make it obvious from the stage hand? Yeah. You know? From Spike Mark, I think it's better.
1: Yeah. Way better than way what better we had before. Right. Um, spike we Mark will wanna... be pretty clear. But... Yeah.
0: But we don't need to make something at least as obvious as the old way. And the old way was you'd see some limit jumpers hanging out the front of the right. stage hand. That's not super, super obvious anyway, but it is clear. Yeah. If you know what you're looking for. And we need something at least that clear. And I don't know. I don't know if I wonder if the LED screen, the OLED screen on the front, if people look at it enough, yeah, to know, you know,
1: right. And maybe I don't, I don't know. Maybe they do sirens, yeah, confetti cannons, <laughs> confetti cannons, like right? Yeah, <laughs> bullhorn, <laughs> yelling at no you. No limits, no <laughs> limits, no limits. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think you're right. I don't think many people look at the screen enough right so I think it's probably had to be like uh some lights or yeah something something I mean maybe it's like lights by the jog buttons or right yeah something like that you yeah know?
0: but then hopefully whatever we'd come up with we got to make it I mean we got to make it retroactive right? yeah because we got to be able point. to get it right I mean people who have already have pros they yeah they need they, to have this they want they're gonna want this as well yeah so Right. I mean, we want this functionality, and we own pros, yeah, so so, like, <laughs> so we want it
1: on the pros we own. Right? Yes,
0: they're gonna want it too. Yep. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure what the answer is there, but that that's definitely interesting.
1: Yeah. Um. And then another interesting bit is um, if there's a way we can combine the interlock, like an interlock, into this solution as well. Right. Right. Because right. it's like we just use an interlock box at Steppenwolf. Yep where we're taking in limit switches from another axis and saying that this cannot run if these limit switches have been struck.
0: That's true, that's true. And and then uh, we're also, on Steppenwolf, also doing the tape switch interlock as well. Right, right, which is a good point. um, Which is also another... Another... Thing another chunk. Yeah, I, I'm starting to really dig the tape switch interlock. It's grown over the years. It really has, and it's getting to the point that it's almost feeling like a, uh, like a completed thing. I mean, yeah, we we've sold very few of them over time, just because surprisingly few people use tape switch. Um, probably more people should use tape switch. Yeah, but but surprisingly few do, um, and then we keep improving that interlock box over time, and it's now pretty fully featured yeah i think it probably could use used even a little more yep um but it's got you know it passes through the 24 pin right because um,
1: right now you you have the interlock box and yep. you have your pro and so your pro your encoder comes in from your machine yep into the interlock box yep and then goes through the logic
0: the logic in the interlock box right. and then out to the pro to so the pro. it sits between the pro and the machine yep um and you have a forward condition and a reverse condition that you can interrupt. So you can put like a pressure mat, say, underneath a lift, and yes. interrupt the reverse condition. And you can put tape switch
1: up above and interrupt the right. up, the forward condition. Um, and then if you're not using one of those conditions, you can just you can just jump jump it, jump it out. out. Yep. Yep. With a jumper. <laughs> With a jumper. Back to the jumpers. <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 So,
0: I, I don't. And I don't know. I mean, there's some... Um, uh, not that I think everyone needs to ha- own an interlock box for every. I mean, if everyone needs to own an interlock box for every pro they have, then we need to build we need the to interlock put the, box yeah, into the pro exactly. Um, so, well, which is its own little interesting it, thing. Uh, right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, I don't know. Th- we don't really have a solution. We're really, no, t- we're we just, really just talking this through. Here. I mean, on the internet. it's going to
1: come to a head because we need to we need to figure this out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't have what we're going to do set set in stone yet
0: yeah we're still noodling it through and so right. if anyone's got ideas about what you'd like to see what you think would work well we talked with Adam Godbad at the Huntington a little bit about this um, about a month ago yeah because um, he's buying a pro with a spot line and right. just wants to make sure that, that there th- is the option for some solution we're like well there's definitely options for the solution and then we kind of Dumped our brains out about like this is these are all the things we're thinking about. And he's like,
1: okay, well, it sounds like you've,
0: you're thinking about you're it. You're
1: thinking so. about it, so we're gonna go forward, right? yeah. Because he worked, him and I worked together on um, a f- the Fidelity, the Fidelity show. show that we yeah did. It was a corporate event, yeah. yeah. And he he asked me, he's like, so what happens if that ultimate limit gets hit?
0: Yeah, because the the hoist was on the truss.
1: Yeah, it was up in the truss. And yeah, I was like, well, we're gonna have to go up there and move it, yeah. <laughs> get the genie out, <laughs> right? Yeah, so.
0: Yeah. There's got to be something. There's got to be a better answer. Eventually a better way that. to do that. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. 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 Cool. Cool. Well, I think that's it. This is great to get back in the swing of things. We'll see what happens. I know we got some travel coming up again. You're shooting off to Dallas for a little bit. Yep. I've but got a day can... trip coming up down to to go see the good folks at Proof Productions uh, on Thursday. Yeah.
1: Um, maybe we can do like some Skype thing or something.
0: Yeah. We can try doing the Skype thing. Yeah. And we might have to. We might have to get used to that. <laughs>
1: right, right, Seems like it's going to be like this for a while. <laughs> it does, it does, it does indeed. It's
0: good to be busy. Can't complain. So, all right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate it on iTunes and tell your friends. It's the best way for people to find the show. And if you have things you'd like us to talk about, we still have a, a backlog there. We're not ignoring it, but yeah. we're just getting to it. <laughs> um, send us an email to podcast at creativeconnors.com. See you next time. Thanks, guys.